Good evening and welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by the Freedom's Path Recovery Society. We are not affiliated with any 12-step fellowship, nor do we wish to propose only one solution. We understand how different solutions can greatly increase an individual's chance of survival. We hope to illuminate some of the recovery process by sharing as many human stories as we can. Why, you might ask, to show that we can and do build stable lives from a former state of chaos, desperation, and hopelessness. Our stories become our strength. Please remember that any and all opinions shared and heard are those of the individuals and not a reflection of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other entity. So regardless of how crappy or wonderful our opinions might be to you, they still remain opinions, nothing more. You might hear swearing adult themes and situations, as well as the tragedies humans face and walk through every day. It is not suitable for children unless they are accompanied by a parent or guardian or have the explicit permission of those individuals. Oh, he's already started. All right. Well, Nolan, welcome, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, man. And uh, happy birthday. Yeah. Today, April 27. Three years. Right on. Three years, eh? Yeah. Well, tell tell us about yourself, man. Well, you know, uh, it's a uh, it's a hard it's a hard uh, point to pin, you know, like mm-hmm. where to start, like because over upon so much reflection now, oh, man, like mm-hmm. it's I think about I've had to think about my parents as like children, mm-hmm. and it's strange because just you know. This last week coming up on three years, I've been thinking about myself as a as a child, like little little Nolan, right? Like, yeah. and what 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 must that person have been like, you know, and mm-hmm. and and what they were experiencing at that time? So if I think about like my parents and what, because I mean, we're a product of our environment, mm-hmm. but there's there's genetics there too, I think, and my my on my mother's side, my grandfather was uh, a career soldier and he he was with the north nova highlanders and and fought you know overseas and and, and came back mm-hmm. you know went through d-day and and the normandy beaches and everything like that and and uh soon after he came back his wife my mother's mom died and and uh like she was a war bride she came back from england with them and everything to the best of my knowledge and and so there was a lot of pain that now you know looking back i i realized like you know we talk about ptsd and and it it, it was my belief too that that was a soldier thing Mm -hmm. you know and by soldier you know you had to be in a war you fought in a war you came back with shell shock you know world war ii we're talking Mm about and and he continued, like I said, he was a career soldier. So he went on with, uh, NATO Mm. and, uh, was stationed in all types of terrible places around the world. And, and I think my mom and her brother and sisters, they were just kind of left to grow. And my mom was second, second youngest, I think. And having just lost her mom and, and then, you know, boom, there's my father mm-hmm. rides into town on a motorcycle, you know, and he, it, he was, he was different. She was with a man. We have to touch on this. The man she was dating at the time is now her husband. Mm. And like, 
he, he left Nova Scotia really when right around the same time my father wrote in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so things changed for her in that, right? Like he kind of took her out of whatever she was in, right? Like moved out of dad's house then. And, and I think she was kind of used to getting a cuff in the back of the head at the dinner table. And, you know, he was, like I said, shell shocked, right? Mm-hmm. So I can imagine he, and he was a severe alcoholic. I mean, why are we here, right? Like yeah. he he brought all that back and I guess it, those behaviors were exhibited to, you know, my aunts and uncles and my mom when they were growing up and and then my father and so he, he comes from, you know, the, the bloodline's even more skewed on that side, I believe, you know. It, my grandmother, his mother was uh like 20 some kids she was the youngest mm-hmm. i think and like it's it's my belief that her father was in the halifax explosion and was blind the last so many of those kids mm. and so i think they just drank and fucked and 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 they were from a small town like conception bay newfoundland mm. like which makes sense if that's what you're doing conceiving <laughs> Yeah, right? like I, I, yeah. what else do you do there, right? There's I, an actual town called Yeah, Conception, Conception Bay. There's a lot okay. of strange name towns yeah. in Newfoundland. Dildo, <laughs> where? Dildo, Dildo, <laughs> Newfoundland. That, yeah. Yeah. There's a few. Anyway, like I, oh, I like where their head was at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conception Bay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, like there was addiction rife in that bit. Like I think there was a couple families that lived on this island, and they were like savage man it was a windswept rocky kind of environment and i'm sure drinking was next to eating mm-hmm. you know it was just the way it was and and then my grandfather on that side he came from the states he was a pilot and uh a, a plane like a mechanic mm-hmm. small engines mechanic like piper cubs and things like that and um when i remember them they were much older and and i remember going to my grandparents house and they had a like a prescription book like an encyclopedia of oh, okay. pills yeah and i learned at a very young age you know like if you wanted a specific feeling you had to exhibit the specific symptoms and then you just make an appointment and if the doctor's you know, good. If you're an addict, he's going to write you up whatever you need for that. Right. And I mean, I remember that when I was a kid, like people have coffee table books. That's the book. It's book of pills. Like, and there was, there was, you know, homebrew being made in the back and, and, and weed everywhere, like people coming in to buy weed or whatever, or this and that, or bootleggers. And, you know, and, and that was what I remember about being at my grandparents Mm -hmm. house you know until i became a little bit older towards the end of their lives and i was drinking and using with them Mm -hmm. and underage you know like and it was so i'm just trying to kind of put a little bit of backstory towards like how normal it all was and Mm -hmm. i mean maybe no more normal than for a lot of people but this is I say normal, like people that are alcoholic and not like, how can you have a drink and continue on? And I can't, well, I know why I can't, but that's what I mean by normal versus not. 
you know, like yeah. I don't know if there's more alcoholics really yeah. in the world than there is, isn't because uh, not a lot of people fucking know they're alcoholics yet. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know what's normal and, and what's abnormal. Someone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so like fast track to I'm born in this backwoods kind of environment man and and i was on a motorcycle the tank of my dad's motorcycle when i was a baby like a toddler and that's mm -hmm. where i rode first and you know i i remember coming off the bike with him but like i have memories of falling off the bike mm -hmm. like during like a crash on a dirt road like mm -hmm. He took care of me though, you know, like he could ride and it, things happen on a dirt road, but it's like, there's no pavement. Yeah. You're riding, you're riding and, you know, a little roll into the ditch kind of thing and, and, and mom being pissed off at him, mm. you know, like, and there was probably a, a fight then. And I can yeah. remember this from being like a toddler, like that's mm. bizarre, you know, like, cause I don't think I ever remembered it until now. It was mm -hmm. just a story. And I don't yeah. really remember it. It's just vague. It's and is mm -hmm. it real? Is it made up? I don't know. I don't know either. You know, like because I I can't. Nobody was there. Mm. You know, and 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 that's like a lot of things in my life. Hmm. Where is it like? Is it part of your belief system? Man? Mm. Do you just believe it's fucking real? And is that what it is to be crazy? Like, I don't know. Mm. Like, we can, we're we going to go deeper, man. Like, but that's what I mean. Like, a lot of things that I thought were true and, mm -hmm. and real are just perceived. Mm. So you've, you've experienced some of these things now as being not real. In yeah. the sense that you just remember them? Is yeah. that what you mean? Like, yeah. maybe from, you know, bits and pieces put together yeah. from different things, yeah. you know? Like... I don't know, but like my, my dad, he, he worked for department of highways for the few years that I remember him working. Mm -hmm. And I remember he had a broken back and ran a chainsaw and, you know, worked hard. And, uh, like he worked in the woods and he come home, he ride home with his bike, chainsaw strapped on the back, like mm -hmm. wild. Right. And, and uh, my mom worked as an institutional chef in a veterans uh, care facility. Mm -hmm. And actually, it, back then, my grandfather was in, in that facility before he passed. Because mm -hmm. it's a rural area. Like I said, there's not a lot of places. And like he even had like the main chair at the end of the hallway because of whatever reason. Maybe mm -hmm. his decoration, you know, is... is uh, I don't know, but I remember going to see him. I didn't have much of a relationship with him and, you know, obviously never met my grandmother on that mm -hmm. side. And, and so I would go and see him and he was sitting in his chair and I remember going and getting money from him mm -hmm. and my mom, like, you know, ask him for this or that, you know, we're going to go skiing, you know, you might need to mm -hmm. see if grandpa will help you with that. So at a young age, like these are the things that I, I see now upon mm -hmm. reflecting, like how convoluted, man, like this guy had nothing. We had nothing. And that was just her dealing with her father mm -hmm. the way she knew how, but like, 
You know, it's like that blood from a stone, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everybody was draining them at that point. No, oh. you know, and and so anyway, I didn't. It wasn't long. I didn't. I wasn't around when he passed. We had already moved out here. I moved here to Calgary in '97, uh, and prior to that, I was living in a more small town kind of uh, environment we had left my father mm-hmm. and that's where my drinking kind of started right but the reasons that led up to like my mother actually leaving my father which brought us to calgary alberta and and on to like really what made me you know because the experiences that really solidified me happened mm-hmm. out here yeah but i think you know the seeds were sown there and uh, I remember a day, I'll just tell like a quick story about, you know, my uncle, he, he's, he's long past. He was a junkie, a heroin addict. And it's even like I heard this from my father that my, my aunt may have even killed him mm. by giving him like uh, extra methadone, you know, and like overdosing him on methadone. So that's like a thing. Is that real? I'm not even sure. You know, yeah. like that's like something my father said to me. Yeah. Like, you know. And Sorry, I'm not sure about that because I wasn't there. Yeah, I'm yeah. also not sure if you can even overdose from methadone. Can you? I, I, I would imagine you can. I would think. I think you're only supposed to have so much yeah. a day. Yeah. And the story I heard was she just took the bottle out, the empty one, and put a new one in. And like, hey, Carl, you haven't had your medication oh wow so and i mean that's what i mean about shit mm. like it, it was that his perception of what happened there yeah. in their twisted reality mm. you know like but there's got to be something going on eh, and, when someone thinks that might have happened yes yeah. and so that's where i start to like you know looking back like yeah. what's my how far skewed was my perception of events mm. and how things went to make me act a certain way mm-hmm. you know and so anyway, my uncle Carl, he uh, he and my father were really tight. That was my father's little brother. And I remember like cleaning out Uncle Carl's car for like, you know, he'd give us all the change and everything. And he had a really nice job in Halifax, actually. And he would come up and visit us in the country. And And even then I knew when he came up to visit us, it was because him and his wife, Susan, were fighting. Hmm. And I was only like six. You know, and and because he'd come up and they'd get right fucked up. Mm-hmm. And my mom always hated it, hey, man. Uncle Carl's coming. Huh? You know, <laughs> like, you know, he's not fucking staying here, Pat. Like, and I remember that mm-hmm. kind of shit still. And so he would end up up at Nanny and Poppy's. Mm-hmm. And so would my father. And so I would go, you know, and, and I have a little brother. He's four years younger than me. And one day, Uncle Carl came, we go. My old man had a really nice Cutlass Supreme with like the beauty rims on it and mm-hmm. stuff. It was like a large engine car, you know. I, yeah. I'm not a supercar guy, but like I, I know it was a nice whip. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to the beach, man. And, I, and and there's a bunch of beaches all along this uh, the highways down in Nova Scotia, right on the Northumberland Strait. Mm-hmm. Like that's where kind of in between PEI and Nova Scotia, that okay. stretch of water. Yeah. And so you can just like 
you know, five minutes down the road, there's another beach mm-hmm. as you go and you just hit the beach. There's different waves, different vibe, whatever, mm-hmm. all, all day. And it's really great when you're like with your younger brother and you're slamming a 60 pounder of like, it was great white vodka mm. in like a squeeze bottle. Like, it sounds healthy. Like yeah. A healthy vodka. Yeah. Like super great high class <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I remember uh, probably tr- swigging it too. Mm-hmm. And they had a jug of OJ and, you know, they both had their, their cut off jean shorts and like, no shirts on and would like park right at the front of the beach and we go up and i don't know what the fuck they were doing like they they both had women right and families <laughs> but here we were and so this day went on and i remember my old man and him like oh we better get back up to the junction you know like sue will be off work mm-hmm. and and anyway we we were gonna go fishing me and my little brother and him after and I, I guess it wasn't a big deal he didn't anticipate the fact that drinking the whole 60 pounder might fuck up the rest of his plans for the day <laughs> and i suppose i've been there too i know i have yeah and so by the time we got home uncle carl knew it was time to split because mm-hmm. she he's seen the dust coming up the road like that was mom coming home and and out he went and i just was out in the garden with my little brother and I, I heard what I thought was like shotgun fire, like gunfire. Mm-hmm. And I just came running around the house and he was standing at the car. And by this time he did it, every window beat out of it. Mm-hmm. It was just like rapid succession, like bang, bang, bang. And then, you know, and then he jumped up on top. And that's what I got to see was him putting the winds, window through it. And that was the first time that, um my mother like and us had to like get away and Mm -hmm. and pop was going away for a bit well it turned into a fucking like a 12-hour standoff Mm. and i just heard her like screaming i remember her telling me like run with your brother down to violet's house and violet was like a matriarch kind of a lady that lived on this this road with this family they were all her sons and lived had their families on the road she was his grandma and and so mom knew we'd be safe down there and it's like pathways through the woods man like where the rabbits couldn't go like thick brush and i just drug them like through the woods as fast as i could and then we called the police Mm -hmm. and everything but i remember going back and watching what was going on Mm because she couldn't keep me there and uh yeah, like there's only seven RCMP officers within probably 600 kilometers. Yeah. And like there's nobody to police. So population-wise, mm-hmm. they're spread out over a very vast area. Yeah. And and they were like showing up in like at different times and trying to get like fucking riot gear on and mm-hmm. shit like out behind the barn. Like, yeah. you know, and then talking to whoever was running it. And, and he's talking to my father like, Patty uh do you think like we could get one of those rifles out like maybe one of the high-powered rifles that you have like Mm -hmm. maybe you could just toss it out the window one of them we could start there like you know Mm -hmm. patty yeah like it wasn't like that's wild man tear gas and fucking beating down the door he was better set up than they were Mm -hmm. and they knew it and they knew who they were dealing with because you know like at that point i was probably you know, like I said, six or seven and, and 
And I remember him telling me stories about them coming to the house and him holding me and them mm-hmm. like ripping apart his motorcycle to see if there's dope in there, yeah. you know? And he's like, just holding me and telling me about the story. So happy, you know, mm-hmm. he, I don't know. And, and so at that point he did go away and then we moved from that house and, and, uh, I remember him. I remember like, that's my first memory of Alcoholics Anonymous talk. I think mm. and I remember seeing chips around and I think, you know, he probably got a year or something like that, but mm. I think it was like my first year. I just went to meetings here and there and I, I wasn't really sober, but mm. I, you know, continued to use other substances mm-hmm. and everything else. But I think that's like a lot of people in the first year, maybe mm-hmm. have that need to be like that. They need to learn over and over again. Like it's not haven't heard enough, you know? Yeah. Well, and also it gets confusing. Like if you're an addict and you go into AA or vice versa, you're an alcoholic, you go into NA, it's pretty easy to justify continuing Yeah. when you're hearing, okay, I can't do cocaine. Mm-hmm. I can't do cocaine or heroin, but I can still drink. Yeah. Or vice versa. Yeah. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing. I think that's, you're, you're the sum of there's many people around you, you yeah. know, and, and it, it just goes without saying if those people are healthy or unhealthy, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that for many years, but, you know, uh, we, we got away from him for, for only so long. Mm-hmm. And then I, I don't, there's nothing in there that sticks out. And I think that's maybe because nothing happened while while my mom was away from him. Mm-hmm. But I think he just did like a little bit in in jail, you know, like at the Amherst Regional Jail or something. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't a big deal. And and when he came back, it was even worse because mm-hmm. now he'd gone and done a bit, right? And the police like knew not to approach him, mm-hmm. right? And when there's only so many people in a town, it's like you talk about not having anonymity bro like i'm pretty sure people left the co-op when he came in Mm -hmm. sometimes like you know and so uh another time when i was a little bit older we were living in a in a different place but very similar not far from where i grew up another rural town and i we had been out partying. They were partying with friends of theirs. And they, uh, I remember him and mom getting into it over whatever. I don't remember, but he turned the lights off. Like there's no road lights in the country. He turned the lights off in the truck and, you know, everything inside and it was like freaking out. Right. Mm. And was going to crash us and whatever. I don't really know. It was just really scary. And I just, we, at that point we were in a Datsun truck, a quarter ton with a bench seat, mm-hmm. all four of us right across the front bench seat. But my mom on the outside, him driving, he was reaching across trying to swatter or whatever. And I put my fist through the, I got stuck in the heat vent because mm-hmm. I punched my fist through the heater vent, like trying to stop him mm-hmm. from reaching across me. And he had to stop the fucking truck. Cause I was bleeding and stuck in the yeah. heat vent. Anyway, we went home and, uh, it just continued on. There was a table similar size to that one in our dining room. 
and we lived in like a vaulted ceiling kind of house at an A-frame. You could mm-hmm. see the ceilings and there's gable windows. He was spinning the table around. He just had a hold of it like this and was swinging it around the room at my mom. And I'd never seen him hit her, eh? Like, and it seems to me that that wasn't really the issue, like him beating her. Mm-hmm. He did things other ways. You know, I mean, now we beat other people, but not her. And, and until that night, and uh, yeah, I had to take my little brother downstairs in the basement and hide him away right away. And I, I, uh, I took the phone down. It was a long phone, really heavy, and and I, and he heard it dinging when I grabbed it off the fucking wall, and it started freaking out at me. And I, said, don't worry, I'll be back. Like you know, keep. Even then, I was like, keep chirping. Like, I'll be right back. And and I took my little brother, Levon, downstairs, and, and I kind of hit him away from a lot of these things that were happening. Mm-hmm. That was just one example of how he didn't, well, I guess that's two now. I really just took him away mm-hmm. all the time. And, um, yeah, I came back upstairs, and I had to tangle with my old man. I had made a call to the police. It was over two and a half hours before they came. Mm-hmm. And I had to deal with him. And he wasn't a very nice guy. So he was handcuffed to the telepost in the house, like a steel post. Mm-hmm. But they got there. And like I handcuffed him with his handcuffs. Mm-hmm. I put him down and I, I hit, I, yeah. And then I fed him wine. Hmm. to keep him shut up and yeah then they came in and they brought him out and then they were that was over man it was Mm -hmm. fucking over he was gone out of our lives but it's never that easy eh? like we went to a a women's shelter like Mm -hmm. for women and children and that was in like in the, the the town of amherst which is where i'm born amherst nova scotia and so the the place was like a lockdown kind of a unit. Like they protected the women there from these guys, right? Mm-hmm. And and I remember like they dyed my hair. And I seem to remember dying it myself, like wanting to do it mm-hmm. myself. But that's another one of those things. I think it was perceived that way, but they wanted to change my appearance mm-hmm. so that he couldn't find me, right? And uh, yeah, he found us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I he, he couldn't get in, right? But that's, he also found us in town one day. And, and like, that went on for a couple years of him just like really out of control. Mm-hmm. And, 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 um, how scary was that though? Like bumping into him and shit. Well, he wasn't himself. He was yeah. like, he was like, uh, me in a fit. You know, like, or, 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 you know, like if you've ever experienced yourself doing something, like, holy fuck, I can't believe that was me, mm-hmm. you know, under addiction or alcohol, whatever. It, 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 that's how he was all of those times. Like he was right at the, the maximum or so I thought, yeah. like he was a psycho man. And like, he always had a motorcycle and he's riding around on a small fucking bicycle, mm-hmm. like around town, like, like weirdos do, you know? Mm-hmm and like uh, riding weirdos yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> and so 
he uh he continued to kind of just remain elusive in my life for a while and he would try to like you know just get with us when when he could mm-hmm. but but mom wouldn't allow it it was very hard for her to you know and and it, it's because he was still really he was really using a lot at the time like i remember going to be with him for a weekend and and we walked he was actually staying at this this lady's house you know he had some girlfriend at this time and we went walking in the woods and there was an old truck like it was parked but now grown in on some old woods road right mm. we open up the door and there's like all these little speed balls in there but i'm using language now not then yeah. like they were balls of tinfoil and he goes into i remember this a vivid memory of him explaining to me you know what this is right mm. like you know and, and it's because that's where he was using at that time he would go for a walk and go to that truck and mm-hmm. in some twisted fucking way he wanted me to see that but not you know and then like what what's the movie where they're uh like it's vietnam man and they're they're like blowing like opium smoke down the rifle barrel oh uh platoon yeah man yeah yeah, I like grew up in Platoon, man. <laughs> like, I remember my mother and my brother going away to New Brunswick for a weekend. And this was just before we like broke as a family. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things I forgot there that were major. He, they went away for the weekend and he and I smoked like hash and, and fucking, I'm pretty sure it was opium. And it's like, you know, we're cleaning the guns and sitting in his fucking kill room, man. Like, you know, like (laughs) he had all his knives and axes and like his ammunition boxes and the rifles and like, you know, any drug paraphernalia or whatever. And it was in there locked up. And at certain points of the year, he'd be growing pot in there or whatever. But, Mm. you know... that's safe storage, though. You should always save store your drugs with your guns and your ammunition. Especially if you're legit, bro. Totally. Especially yeah. if you're legit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, And then occasionally grow weed in there, too. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he like, we got stoned together. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, fuck, that's bizarre, okay, man? Like... When you're normally like just cleaning the rifle with your dad mm-hmm. or, or maybe like he's passing you a joint to smoke or something like here, I have a puff off this kid, but like not like actually breaking down the rifle mm-hmm. and like blowing up a smoke down into my lungs, like take it in boy. Like, yeah, that sounds creepy, man. And so, yeah, man, that's <laughs> fucking, he was yeah. fairly demented at that time. And, and, and one of those days leading up to that, that final explosion mm-hmm. when he was arrested then um i remember having to pack him in a tub of ice and because he was a he was a, a nurse at one point too and mm-hmm. so you know and co- growing up reading all of those fantastic narcotic books with yeah. the illustrations and everything like if you're having a fucking overdose you know what to do man mm-hmm. get your son to pack you in a fucking <laughs> tub of ice right and and like i'm just having a panic attack man like but your mom's gonna be home soon 
Mm-hmm. And I got to get my blood pressure down or I'll probably fucking kill her, you know, like, and that's what yeah. it was like. And, and, and I realized now I was saving him from an overdose mm-hmm. at that time. Like, cause the term overdose, right? Like it doesn't mean you have to die. It just yeah. means you've overdosed, overdosed. Yeah. on whatever fucking substance, mm-hmm. man. And I saved his life, I guess. Probably. Probably your mom's too. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly yeah. your own. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, I don't think I, I understood what had happened with mm-hmm. that situation until, you know, many years later, mm-hmm. like, like mid twenties. Yeah. Like, holy fuck. That's okay. a big deal, man. You know, that, that's what that was, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then like, let's just get right out of Nova Scotia and, and fucking, moved to alberta Mm -hmm. like it was it was june 97 my mother said okay we're going to alberta to live in calgary and this guy rod remember my mom's boyfriend before my dad came in the picture Mm -hmm. he'd been living in calgary all those years and she flew out for a quick trip came back and bam we were moving right and i was like well that's not going to fly for me. You know, I'm in grade nine, you know, just finishing grade nine. And, and I was going to a high, my high school, the school that I went to was grade seven to 12. Oh, okay. There was only 360 kids in the whole school. And, and then, uh, little did I know, like that fall, I would be entering a high school with Mm. 2000 people. Yeah. Grades 10 to 12. So like uh that's a completely different ball game. Yeah, like there wasn't fucking 2000 people in in the county that I lived in yeah. and the surrounding 12 counties. Mm-hmm. You know? Like the town of Amherst probably today has 5000 people in it. Wow. Yeah. You know? And so like I, I moved out here. I ran away that day. Like I got in a, my buddy's boat. Like we just jacked his dad's boat and like dipped out into the harbor and off into the Northumberland Strait. Like mm-hmm. until we realized how stupid it was that we, I wasn't going to get away. You know, they're probably going to die out here. Like we weren't mm-hmm. on the right craft for sailing out into the Northumberland Strait. You know, it's just a little speedboat. And so, you know, I ended up on a plane, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, fuck. I, I, we landed here. I, I don't remember if it's day or night. We came in and, uh, we stayed at Rod's. This is the new man, mm-hmm. uh, his brother's, brother's house. And, and then we were, we were brought to the house I was going to live in the next day which I thought was weird, right? Right off the hop. Mm-hmm. And, and it like, didn't make sense to me. Why didn't we just go there? Like, isn't this his house? We're like, we're going to our new house. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. And, and it was weird. Well, when I got there, he lived in a house and his sister lived upstairs with her daughter. And so the, my mother, my brother, and myself were going to move into this shitty little basement suite with him underneath of his you know 
Bible fucking thumping sister. And that's what I thought at the time. I learned quickly and I thought that for many years, right? Mm-hmm. I don't use judgment like that as often now, but thank God for that. I try not to, too, but I still do. Yeah. Bible, it, the Bible thumpers, eh? It comes out. Yeah. I know. Especially with all the time I spend in churches now, it's, mm. yeah, it's no become doubt. a real problem, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't like that very much that we were in an underground lair, you mm. know, and I, I didn't have walls growing up, like... Like I left the house in the morning and and ate rhubarb or or carrots mm. or apples, codfish, you know. I I didn't have walls and then I did, and uh, I didn't like him. He was a fucking drunk mm. right away, like a a, a, tw- a box of beer a night kind of guy, like yeah. steady job, whatever. I didn't I didn't know him. Apparently he had a daughter that was younger than me and my brother and, and, uh, you know, he, he was absent of any type of emotion towards my brother or myself. And I mean, I got emotion from my dad. I I got love from my dad. Like he was a very loving person, Mm -hmm. even though he was capable of all these other terribly fucking demonic things Mm -hmm. he 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 told me you know how to take care you know love your brother love your mother don't Mm -hmm. let anyone hurt your family you know he even kissed me on the lips you know he was a very loving man Mm -hmm. you know and he uh to be now with this other guy who i felt like right off the hop i was like he just wanted my mom Mm -hmm. he didn't want nothing to do with us and so I automatically didn't understand why we needed to be staying around there. Yeah. Like, and why the fuck did I need to come? Like, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm old enough. I even had a family I could have stayed with. And and it just didn't work the way I wanted it to then, right? And so I, I, I was a week in Calgary, and I saw a man running on fire past our house. Really? Someone had just doused him with Zippo fluid. Uh, there was whatever factions were warring at the time in mm. in 97 the summer of 97 in forest lawn there was many like uh, different gangs or factions yeah. And, and yeah that was like oh yeah wow welcome to the big city right and jeez and my mind continued to be blown like that you know david mm-hmm. like it just continued over and over and over i went to high school and that first day there was like three different grades and we all met in the same gymnasium and and i ended up in the locker room longer or something or had to go back to the locker Mm -hmm. and i i ran into a couple lebanese guys older guys that were in there and i didn't know what a lebanese guy was yeah i didn't know what anything was any other races or anything Mm mm-hmm and and they said uh something to me and i said i don't fucking know like it was a wise ass remark that i was not familiar with hearing mm-hmm. obviously something to start something right and they said something along the lines like hey, you know you don't like lebs and i was like well what the fuck's a leb mm-hmm. and because you like legitimately didn't know yeah yeah i was ignorant of the facts mm-hmm. and i didn't like that so i can't like 
that was my first getting jacked. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I remember it being referred to as. No, you got jacked. And I, I got like more, mostly it was like a fucking prison scene in a shower because mm. it was showers and there was nobody around and it was, they fucking, they dummied me, man. Mm. I was bleeding. I was cut. I was, uh, my belt was gone. My shoes are gone. My shirt was ripped and I was soaked like, mm. you know, and that was the first day of school. Jeez. Yeah. And that was just the fucking beginning, man. Mm. You know? Really? Yeah. It went on like that for probably the first six months of school. I I I got thumped heavily like every second day, mm-hmm. sometimes every day, just either at school or walking to or from mm-hmm. or, you know, at a, at a train station. If I did decide to fucking venture out a little bit of my safety, mm-hmm. you know, block or two, which yeah. wasn't safe. You know, it, it just happened all the time. And then, I don't know, man, like one day this guy, Aleb, he, uh, he came flying across the fucking street where we all used to stand out and smoke. And by this time, I would align myself loosely mm-hmm. with this group of white boys, you know, that were a group of white boys. And, and, and everybody knew that they were white boys, you know, mm-hmm. like even though there was a couple of colored guys that fucking hung out with us, we would have never passed as like, you know, supremacists by any means at that fucking time. And, and, you know, he just, he was coming across man. And, and I fucking just, I, I stepped sideways. I knew he was coming for me. It had happened every day. Mm-hmm. I, I knew. And I stepped sideways when he swung and I fucking clapped him once and he went down. And I, I, I felt for an instant, like I had made it, mm-hmm. you know, this is, uh, I felt respected. I felt dignified. I felt wanted. Mm-hmm. I felt fucking accepted because it was my belief that all of these guys were highly violent. And, and if I didn't start fucking putting up soon, I was going to get it from them too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did. They just, they, they wanted some then too, right? Cause mm. the, holy fuck, he knocked that guy out. Like, so then there was all of that jostling for mm. power amongst teenage boys that were thinking they were grown ass fucking men, mm. you know? And, and so I had to row with a few of the boys that, that became like my boys, you know? Mm. And that's how I kind of broke in that way. You hear about guys in like, you know, big cities getting jumped into gangs. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, nobody ever called it that. But that's exactly what the fuck happened. Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't walk with any of these boys if they thought you were a liability. Mm-hmm. So they had to know if you can, you can operate. And so I uh, kind of embraced that. Man. And and for the longest time, I I was fairly confident in the fact that i i wasn't being violent unless i needed to be mm-hmm. even though you know we'd go out on the weekends and find the same kind of people that would be doing those things to us and do that to them and mm-hmm. you know, it was all very senseless and fucking gross 
you know. And I, I don't know. I don't like. I, I can go on and on, sharing about these escapades that that were actually my part. Mm. Like, and that's where I'm starting to go now. Like, yeah. we're getting into my part here. Like, you know, I I took what I was offered and I ran with it. Mm. And before I knew it, I was a fucking monster. You know, I. I never went to the pen and I'm not sure I don't belong there, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, a lot of people that I dealt with on a regular basis definitely belong there. Mm -hmm. And, and I always felt like I was only doing damage to people that were fucking bad people. Mm -hmm. Like I, I used to say like the, the world needs, bad men like me to keep the fucking bad men from your doorstep. Hmm. And that was prideful and egotistical, you know? I'm no fucking sheepdog. Only well, sheepdogs, man. Yeah, but, you know, motives have to be in the right place, I guess. It's true. You know? And I think I could be a sheepdog just... I wasn't then, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, just an asshole magnet, really. Yeah. If if there was somebody that was in any kind of pain like I was in or looking to exhibit any improper behaviors, they usually found their way to my face, and mm -hmm. I never said no, you know. And, and for the longest time, I thought that's what made a man, you know. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that's... Uh, you know, they either fucking fear you or they love you, eh? Mm -hmm. And who cares which one it is? But, you know, it doesn't serve my life now. Yeah, that's for sure. That type of thinking, right? And, and you know, I'll, uh, I I can tell you one, one time, um, well, I ended up getting married fairly soon was shacking up with the same, with the girl out of high school and then marrying her. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, we were together for 14 years. And during that time, you know, we were kids growing up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's hard to even refer to myself as a fucking kid when we're talking about all this shit, mm -hmm. you know, like this insane, insane things that are going on are mm -hmm. not things that kids, they're not kid stories. Yeah. So, you know, like when I, we, we kind of grew up and she saw that person, you know, mm -hmm. just one of the boys and I was one of the guys. And so she was one of the girls. We ended up together and that was like a, a high school sweetheart thing, mm -hmm. you know? And I, uh, I think I just, you know, I did that because, you know, that's what you do, right? Mm -hmm. You get married, you, you come out of high school, you get a career, you fucking buy a house all this bullshit that really uh, I don't think serves us much as uh, as an individual, yeah, or or as a, a spiritual being, mm -hmm. because you know, really that kind of lends itself to the same consumptionist attitude that I had as an addict, mm -hmm. you know, to just take and consume and fucking 
more again i gotta get a new truck i gotta get a bigger camper i gotta fucking get a better wedding ring than that last fucking guy gave his girl mm-hmm. all that bullshit it's just like it's fraudulent i see that now mm-hmm. and i uh um you know she put up with a lot of bullshit. I, I put her in a lot of really precarious positions. I would, um, of course she'd be calling or wondering where I was. And, and I would, you know, do the eventual, like put off, like I'll be home, I'll be home, I'll be home. And I would come home. I'd be covered in fucking blood or my, my knuckles would be all scraped off and, you know, and it wouldn't be my blood. Right. And for many, many years, that's the way it went on, Dave. Mm. It wasn't my blood. And then it was, mm. I, I was sitting in what I thought was a safe place, you know, my neighborhood pub and, uh, it was between Christmas and New Year's and a gentleman walked in there. Look at the language I'm using. He was no fucking gentleman. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was, uh, he was not in a good place when he came in there cause mm-hmm. he was coming in there looking for something that wasn't good for anybody he was looking for somebody to fucking hurt Mm. and and i mean like i said right between christmas and new year's and i i was obviously having some type of a a weak moment or something because i would never find myself that drunk Mm. and in that position you know I, i would never allow myself to get that drunk when i was could possibly be into a a an altercation like that or something you know like and and all my boys weren't there. Nobody was there. I was just sitting because I was drinking to be away from her. Or I didn't want to go home or whatever fucking mm-hmm. reason. But he pulled my card, man. He he took a chicken finger off my plate. And I didn't even lay the eyes on him. Mm-hmm. He just came up behind me and took this off my plate. And so I found that kind of fucking queer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I like, hey, you know, whatever ensues, and. He did it again. And so I stood up. And instead of standing up and just cracking him, I stood up and tried to reason with him. Mm-hmm. And he just opened the side of my face up with a, was a like an A&W Stein, mm-hmm. like the thickest fucking yeah. beer glass out there. And it was full. And he just clapped me the once. My hands were down by my sides. And yeah, he, at that point, severed my carotid artery. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had two holes in my face and... My lips were hanging off and I was I was in bad shape. No shit. But most people that'd be probably good enough. Like you'd either fucking die or you'd end up in the hospital. I just stuffed my fucking fist into my neck and grabbed my my arteries. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I went to work on them. I finished them off. Like I finished it up. And and he didn't die that night, but you know, he's not been the same since, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, he had a plate in his head when he came in there that night from someone doing something similar to him. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he doesn't speak today. And he, uh, I'm, I don't know if his, if his eye is fake, but I know all the bone in the side of his face is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did that with a couple pool cues and I just staved them. Like I, you know, I opened his head up like a cantaloupe, right? And, and all the while, like spraying blood and, and, you know, like I, 
I was spitting glass out. Anyway, I went. I got I got into emergency like a casual amount of fucking time later. Mm. Like after you know arguing with everybody. Like no, obviously I'm not fucking bleeding to death anymore. Mm. I can drink some whiskey and then maybe we could go like another shot of fucking cocaine maybe and then we can go mm-hmm. like don't pressure me here man like or i'll take my hand off here yeah. you know like and so that was my I, I i ended up home some hours later with my wife at the time and i just commenced with like drinking myself to death mm. And there was a lot of booze in the house because right between that time of lovely amount of fucking Christmas cheer, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was on the ground, man. I was down. I was, I, my face looked like it went through a, a windshield. Like mm-hmm. it was like some 70 stitches to close my carotid and then over that to close my face up. And, you know, you can't even notice that shit today mm-hmm. if I didn't mention it, like, you know. But at that point, I was, like, half, like, I'm going to be so fucking ugly, you know. I'm going to be the Phantom of the Opera, like, fucking, because mm-hmm. I, I thought I was kind of handsome. And then at the other side of it, I was, like, fuck, I'm going to look tough, man. Fuck, mm-hmm. I'm going to look tough. You know, and like, yeah, just wanting to die. Mm-hmm. And so I... uh I I had to appease my wife at that time. And I thought myself, you know, I tried to get sober. And I mm-hmm. think I sincerely believed that I wanted to at that time. Mm-hmm. But just for those few days afterwards until I could really get up and start moving around again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I got, I went to AA. I called the number and and I uh, I went to AA in Forest Lawn with a couple old timers and and you know i was accepted and i went in there and it was all about me like look at my fucking neck man this is what alcohol's done for me <laughs> you know and and i thought that's what it was all about yeah. and i got you know like i said i hung around for about a year and yeah i don't know i guess i had her fooled mm-hmm. i was able to hang on that much longer and and i had everyone fooled and i and i went out for so many years and then in June of 2014, I, uh, we were still together and I, um, we were on like a Sunday drinking day, man. And then we went to the park and I got on a teeter totter and I don't remember if she was even drinking, but I was, I was obviously toasted. Mm-hmm. And, and I think at that point, that's really all we had was like those times together that we, would drink together too like I, I seriously believe now looking back that there was she had a ghost living with her mm-hmm. like all those years you know and of course i made a lot of apologies and i said sorry a lot mm-hmm. but it was never enough and it was always i think very empty because mm-hmm. i just wanted to make the pain stop always mm-hmm. fuck if she stops bitching at me and we're doing okay then i'm all right today mm-hmm. So she accepts my apology, right? But that day on the teeter-totter, I fell off the teeter-totter. I had to save my beer. I saved my beer. I put my arm up over my head as I was falling sideways off the teeter-totter, and I had the 
what what anybody be familiar with is like having the wind knocked out of them. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened to me. I actually broke my top two vertebrae when I fell. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me a minute or something to get up off the ground. But I was pouting, you know, like a like a like a little kid, you know. Like I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Mm-hmm. And I was nasty to her. And I left her and the dog at the park and I crawled my ass home and then I think probably to the pub. Like I was pissed off at her for the fact that I fell off the teeter-totter. And I think that next day, it was a Monday morning. Yeah, I got up to get into the truck in the morning. I was pulling myself up in and something kind of popped. And I went back upstairs and passed out on the floor in pain and she didn't know what to do and i said just wait until i wake up you know i'm gonna see what happens and and i was obviously having a serious adverse reaction from like i must have pinched something then later like you know throughout the day getting into the truck something and anyway i came to and she was fucking livid something had changed in that amount of time where she had started to remember the times before where I was injured or I, uh, something had happened when I was drunk and I couldn't go to work or, and there, there was going to be problems yeah. and she could see it. So essentially she told me to leave. She's like, you got to go. I can't do this with you anymore. Like this isn't changing. It doesn't get any better. I don't, you know, and I, I so very fucking easily just said, okay, mm-hmm. like, are you going to be able to, pay for the house she said yes i said see you fucking later Mm. like see ya i didn't have any emotional attachment to the situation at all at that point and i and i don't think as a whole i didn't i just think in that moment i Mm -hmm. didn't right i mean the the months after that showed me that i was very heartbroken and Mm. you know but the months after that oh boy that's when I really, I, uh, I continued to work from, I fell on in June. I left in July. There was about a month there or I hung around mm-hmm. and, uh, I continued to work until December and I reached into a job box, uh, to pull out tools in the morning. And I fucking like had a stroke. Mm-hmm. It was like, I had a stroke my my whole side of my face and and the right hand right side of my body just fell and he, even like my face was disfigured and mm-hmm. yeah and I couldn't feel anything and I was slouched over the box and the guy had to pull me out of the box and um I kind of I got my ass out of there and got to the doctor and like at that point I was I was in pain anyway and I was doing a lot of cocaine and uh, I was on medication be- just from whatever random doctor I was at, you know, and I think they were mild opiates, you know, like the low end. But that was just to get me started out, you know, and and because they didn't know what was wrong at that point. And then came like, you know, the MRIs and and all of that kind of stuff and like going to uh like spinal doctors, surgeons, uh, special, specialists, special, you know, specialists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they would be like, are you okay, man? 
I'm like, well, why the fuck would I be in here today if I was okay? I didn't ever understand what they were talking about because I was whacked out. Mm. Like, I would have, like, just got, like, three hours of sleep maybe after doing an eight ball and drinking a 40-ouncer and mm -hmm. being out all night and then going, well, I got to get to that appointment, though, right? Like, because <laughs> this is important. I got a broken neck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and how stupid, though. Like, you know, I, I was just managing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh yeah so i find out that it's not just two broken vertebrae it's mm -hmm. it's it's two broken vertebrae and and there's two other vertebrae that are below it that are you know over a decade old and they're 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 gone they're mm -hmm. they're shattered so the top two were fractured and the top the the, the below two were uh shattered like almost mm -hmm. non-existence and and the discs in between there, two discs were gone. Mm -hmm. And so I just had like a spinal cord that was wrapped around a little bit of meat with all these bone chips. And it was like a, a pepper grinder mm -hmm. for all those years. And so, you know, that is what happened when I when I bent into that box that day, that was a, a little cut mm -hmm. on the spinal cord. And so that's how close I was to being paralyzed from about the ears down mm -hmm. and uh yeah i just kept going out and like thumping guys out every mm -hmm. second night and doing a whole bunch of dope and going to like drug dens and mm -hmm. uh i really started to align myself with like the darker sides of life mm -hmm. you'd say you know like i i really threw myself into like a a kind of a, a one percenter mentality, you know, and I didn't give a fuck about mm -hmm. the rest of the world. You know, at that point, that's, it was a FTW kind of mm -hmm. a mentality and, you know, trampled the weak and that wasn't going to be me, you know, crushed the strong. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if I had enough cocaine, I could keep standing up, right? You know, and, and nobody had to know that I, was a second away from being paralyzed, mm -hmm. right? And I could still fucking scare everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's how it was. And like, it's so stupid. Like, but I wasn't going places to scare people mm -hmm. all the time. But I would go to a place and, you know, I would hear a, a big clatter in the kitchen and a guy would be fucking jumping out the window, mm -hmm. you know, because he knew I was coming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and like, that's the shit, like, for so long that really got me fired up mm -hmm. like for that night i could say how oh, fuck what a bitch man you know like how come you didn't hang out in here and talk to me obviously mm -hmm. he fucking owes me money or you know mm -hmm. i just was playing some masked fucking character mm -hmm. that at that point had just totally evolved mm -hmm. to be what it was yeah and uh yeah, I, I just kept seeing this this spine surgery encroaching and and yet seeing hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Like what if I roll over in bed tonight and I don't fucking wake up or I wake up and I can't move and I can't talk mm -hmm. because I'm I'm paralyzed. You know, uh, all these what ifs and 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 you know and heartbreak and and like i i knew that it was it was coming like i really fucked it all up 
And uh, I was living in my mother's basement. I was 33 years old. And and I left that that shitty little basement mm -hmm. when I was 17. I moved out here when I was 15. So I wasn't in that basement for long. And I was on my own, mm -hmm. you know. And just to crawl back in there was pretty degrading. And he was not happy. Mm -hmm. Amen. And I, I let him know that I didn't give two shits about whether he was happy or not. Mm -hmm. And if he wanted to get any less happy, he could fucking keep talking and he'd have to put padlocks on his bedroom door. Like I, mm -hmm. I told him that. Like, I'm not going anywhere, you know? And, and I was ignorant, right? Mm -hmm. But very like, I deserved a couple months in my mom's basement at that point, mm -hmm. I figured. But, you know, he, he they, they were both just scared of what might happen mm -hmm. next. Fair enough. Rightfully yeah. so. You know, at that point, I was driving around in my truck and the, the police pulled me over for whatever reason. And it was, you know, do you have, uh, you know, hey, Mr. Hammond, do you have firearms with you this evening? You know, mm -hmm. and, I, and the answer was, yeah, yeah. And they'd say, okay. And we'd go through the whole rundown and, you know, like, uh, yeah, there's a 12 gauge under the, you know, and, and I was legally allowed to carry that weapon, but I didn't need to be carrying it all the time, man. But there it was just in case. Cause I, I was really approaching that point of if I'm going down, mm -hmm. I'm going down in that blaze of fucking glory, man. Like mm -hmm. the SWAT team's going to have to get me and I want a big write up in the paper mm -hmm. about how fucking much carnage there was. I was really dark about it. Like mm -hmm. I had thought about it. Like, you know, it was like, cause I, I didn't want to just blow my own brains out. Mm -hmm. It had to be something different than that. Right. Yeah. And somehow I managed to keep my gun through a lot of that, like illegal firearms, you know, <laughs> I went, uh, mm -hmm. how, <laughs> you know, uh, like, I met someone leading up to the surgery, mm -hmm. uh, the woman that I'm with now, and she's uh, she's amazing. She's mm -hmm. right behind me in recovery. Uh, you know, we'd both experienced enough pain in our lives mm -hmm. at that point that we were both still in pain, and, like, you know, we met in the darkness right mm -hmm. but you know we've kind of found each other in the light and the thing is she i had a, a my final like she nursed me through this surgery right mm -hmm. like I, where i couldn't actually wipe my own ass you know that's just an expression but it is it comes from somewhere you know it's when you they, can't they actually come do from it. back surgeries yeah yeah you know yeah. and so uh she took good care of me and for whatever reason, like, I mean, I was just madly in love with her. And even in that fog, you know, some, there was a, a draw of energies. And, and I, I don't think two addicts having a relationship like that usually works out or should be the rule of thumb or it anything normally but there's always exceptions right but it's worked you know and i think it's because we both experienced enough pain mm -hmm. so you know i came out of that surgery and and uh i had an i had another hole in my neck eh? mm -hmm. so that was two 
and I couldn't walk. And I was even more hopeless than I was before yeah. because now I really was paralyzed and I was in so much more pain and I didn't see the end result of mm -hmm. the surgery. I just see, holy fuck. And I just got out of the spine ward, yeah. which is, you know, one of the scariest places on earth. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think in my experience, I've not been to Sierra Leone mm -hmm. or, you know, Yugoslavia, but the spine ward in Calgary. It's no yeah. fun. Yeah, man, mm -hmm. it was, it was brutal, right? Uh, like there's people in there that are suspended from the ceiling by hooks and there's like pumps that are sucking the, the brain fluid off of their brain stems and the brain stems actually like exposed, mm -hmm. like it's fucking spooky, man. Mm -hmm. And when you're all dosed up in there on, in recovery from surgery, you know, hours after and like rolling around the halls, like I could walk because I was really whacked out at that mm -hmm. time. I was on fentanyl and morphine and they were making sure I was comfortable. But then I started to like burn up mm -hmm. and I had psychosis and all kinds of crazy shit meant uh, morphine delirium. Mm -hmm. and, and then I went on a walk during that. And that's when I saw these people hanging from the ceilings in the next rooms. And I was, I was not doing well. I, anyway, I woke up in the hallway of the spine ward mm -hmm went directly home i needed to get away from there as fast as possible because i didn't like the dope they were giving me in there i wanted to go and do some cocaine and i knew there was going to be a few days before i could so if i could just get that few days started mm -hmm. <laughs> as soon as possible <laughs> yeah and i uh yeah, I was at, I, I was in bed for maybe 5 days after the surgery, 6 days mm -hmm. and i was out and and I went right to like the house where I I knew it would be happening, man. And and they were like, "Whoa, you uh, didn't you have a thing like, you know?" And I'm like, "Yeah, fuck, look, man, you know, like just showed them the hole in my neck that was taped up." And they're like, "Well, are you okay?" And you know, like by the end of the night, I'd be like laying down, and they were like dosing me up, like it was perfectly acceptable that i had just come on a surgery mm -hmm. and like as long as i was around right like and it was fucking weird like it wasn't enough because now i'd just had like pure fentanyl right out of the mm -hmm. syringe i'd just been having morphine you know like so i i noticed a shift right mm -hmm. and i had a really huge huge prescription for like percocets and 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 all kinds of things and I just was like chomping them up mm -hmm. and I didn't eat for a couple months. It's a shit about those opiates, man. Yeah. They don't really yeah. do much for your appetite. No, you don't. I never ate either. No. Or shit. <clears throat> oh God. The yeah. shits were the worst. Man. Marbles, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. If you got marbles and then all of a sudden you got a brick. Yeah. <laughs> you get yeah. like the opiate brick shit. Yeah. Five days later and it's like a solid brick of oh. concrete coming out your asshole yeah, you yeah. need to haul it out yeah yeah i broke a hospital toilet with it yeah yeah that's a good one <laughs> so i fucking i ended up out and then on like a you know a week-long bender and and my partner was privy to that and you know like partook a little bit with me during mm -hmm. that and then you know it came to uh like this like final just i'd experienced 
at least one overdose and just kept going, like mm-hmm. had a shower and was like walking around the house, party naked, like, oh, no, I just had a fucking shower, man. Like, mm-hmm. no big deal. Like, I was that fucking out of it. And nobody mm-hmm. would say to me, like, dude, throw some Gench on or something, right? Yeah. And uh, I fucking, uh, I had like this psychotic break man i is the only way i can explain it like i i it it was a total nervous breakdown Mm -hmm. and i tried to like kill the the guy that was at the house with us and and i and i wasn't very nice to her and and that was it i gave up Mm -hmm. i just uh i called one of my friends a guy actually that i spoke to and met the first day of high school after that beating I took and uh I he we'd remain friends but like he wasn't quite as bad mm-hmm. and and by this point he had a family a young family and I knew that he would he would knock me the fuck out mm-hmm. he would he would fix my wagon if I asked him for help and, and and so I just threw myself at him right and he was like well I'm at work I'm gonna come get you you know where are you and he came and took me out of that that house i was in for so many days with Mm -hmm. unlimited amount of dope and liquor and and uh he brought me to his home and then he called a guy from aa that he knew that he worked with Mm -hmm. that he was familiar with this guy was in the program and uh actually this gentleman you know who his name is uh gord he will he would be my grand sponsor. I guess that's what we call him. He's my mm-hmm. first sponsor. And, and, uh, he was actually this, this guy, Cody's dad's friend. Mm. And they'd known each other, you know, like he was my buddy's dad's friend. Mm-hmm. And, and so he knew Cody when he was just a little guy. And he, and now you heard they were working at a trucking company together. And so he knew who I was mm-hmm. just due to working with this guy, you know, your friend Nolan, right? And, it's wild because you know how things we start seeing things lining up eh, man mm-hmm. like for me i heard them referred to as god shots early on mm-hmm. that was the first one right so him and another guy came and they took me to mcdonald's and and talked to me just about like what it was like and where where i was then like what where am I, you know and they said you have to go to renfrew Mm-hmm. detox is what like you know we would advise and if you do that then call us if you get in there or if you don't and i went the next day and there was some like 30 some people there mm-hmm. that morning and they only let five of us in yeah it'd be a lot yeah and and i was in that front room which I guess is like a triage essentially and where they will keep you if you're in the worst shape. I was up there for four or five days Mm -hmm. and they were ready to send me to the hospital because I wasn't getting better. Mm -hmm. They couldn't take my fucking blood pressure. I I was so stiff and tense. Right. And, uh, yeah, they got me chilled out and and I met a woman in there. Uh, one of the nurses that was really, started to change for me mm-hmm. you know uh, exteriorly like she gave me extra attention and i knew that it was sincere mm-hmm. like you know wholesome 
love. Yeah. Like, and, uh, you got some good stoppers there, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this lady took extra time with me after, mm-hmm. after everybody else bedded down, I was able to like have a, a hot bath and then she would bring me a warm blanket and we would talk. And that was the first time I ever prayed with anyone. And, uh, it was amazing. And I continued that relationship with her until, uh, until I left and I was able to stay in there and go door to door to Claire's Home Concurrent Disorders Program. Perfect. Man, what a program. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, uh, it's a center for mental health and addictions. So concurrently, I have these disorders, you know, Mm -hmm. it means one and another. A lot of people, might not think that they come hand in hand. I I believe they do. It's it something for some people. Yeah. It, you know, absolutely. It, it, it's something, right? And I uh, I knew that I was like depressed and that I had all this PTSD and and you know I'd always been fairly cognizant of it, mm-hmm. but never knew how to implement any change or mm-hmm. or use anything. Right? Like it was just that's where I was now. And so I just decided, you know, all right, let's go with it. So I did it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I got myself in there. I worked hard enough in the Renfrew detox and, and made the right moves in there. And, and not like I was controlling it, but I sure as hell mm-hmm. thought I was doing a good job of getting where I needed to be at that point. Yeah. But uh, I obviously just made the right connections and, and God was looking out for me, you mm-hmm. know, my, my higher power. And, and so I went door to door after being in there for 14 or 15 days mm-hmm. i went into claire's home for five months and that's a nut house mm-hmm. like really i mean it's the closest thing i i would know to a nut house yeah. like there's different wings there mm-hmm. and there's definitely people there that you would consider nutty mm-hmm. so you know it's a residential hospital and and uh, it was really scary yeah. to 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 walk in there and to know that I was going in there to stay like mm-hmm. here I've, you know, escaped going to the penitentiary, you know, haven't yet had to been institutionalized and I'm, I'm actually going to sign myself up for this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I learned in there that, you know, um, my initial thought or feeling was what was getting me into trouble all those many years. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I would get hung up on my initial thought or feeling or emotion, mm-hmm. and that would then guide me through my next so many actions. Yeah, you know, and I I learned through uh, cognitive behavioral therapy in there, which really works for me. Mm-hmm. Works for lots of people. Yeah, and I hear that too, you know. I I think it helps me to untwist my thinking to where, you know, we, we talk about in the literature and Alcoholics Anonymous to, to pause before we react. Mm-hmm. But this is the same thing. It's just being said a different way. It's, yeah. it's untwisting it. It's okay, this is my initial thought. If I can get past that, which is the pause, mm-hmm. and then develop, you know, or, or accept the mm-hmm. second thought, maybe it's a better one Mm -hmm. and that's usually the next right thing which so i learned you know that 
when I was there, I didn't really think it was sticking too much, but it's just been the last probably year and a half mm -hmm. where I started to realize that, you know, what I learned in the 12 steps applied alongside this, this cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. you know, it works for me because I'm a, I'm, I don't know, I need to learn a certain way. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, you know, if your kid chooses nails, you put put their nails in cat shit, man. Like mm. they won't stick their fucking fingers in their mouth anymore, okay? <laughs> and and it's that a, a lot of us learn that way. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think a lot of the people that I was interacting with in my life mm -hmm. only learn through pain. Yeah. And so when they upset me, if I fucking punished them with pain, they understood not to do that again. Mm -hmm. It's just like a dog that pisses in the corner. Mm -hmm. If you give it a cookie, guess what? He's going to go piss over there again. But, you know, I'm not saying to boot your dog, but, mm -hmm. you know, you tell him, hey, no, that's not right. And maybe he won't do it again. Like, yeah. you got to learn. We learn a certain way. And, yeah. and all of those things really started to connect for me. And it wasn't until... I really got into 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 this program that you and I met in, mm -hmm. you know, that what my part was. Mm -hmm. I, I learned in there that I was really fucking confused. Mm -hmm. And this is how I could if this if I did this enough, I could practice it enough to get unconfused. Mm -hmm. But I really didn't know how any of that had to do with what the fuck I did. Mm -hmm. They were asking me and they're like, well, what happened to you? Mm -hmm. This is what happened. Like, like in, in the story, when we began, I, mm -hmm. these are some of the things that have happened to me, mm -hmm. but you know, what keeps, what kept me going as an addict was really embracing the fact that none of that was any of my fucking business. Mm -hmm. You know, look what happened to it me. It wasn't your fault. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and for the longest time, you know, I figured, you know, if I just kept doing what I knew how to do, it would be good mm -hmm. enough. But then she left, you know, my wife of so many years, you know, I, I couldn't work my career anymore. I, I couldn't talk to most of the people that I used to talk to mm -hmm. because that left with the marriage. You know, or the person that I was trying, I had two different groups of people that I was trying to maintain an image for, mm -hmm. you know, like this, this weekend gangster and, and like a, a professional pipe fitter husband. Mm -hmm. And I mean, shit, it's, it's just like sobriety. I can't, you can't do one and expect the other one to flourish. Mm -hmm. you, you need to water the pot you want to grow, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and all those many years, I, I being as, you know, the way I'm natured, if I was hurting, this is the way I would act. So I have a hard time with the whole marriage thing and, and how that's happened because there was another person's life that was connected to mine mm -hmm. and I have nieces and nephews and you know, her mom and her dad and all of that whole life. Like that was my life. And then it's just gone. 
But what I have now, I, I, I don't like to say that I'm going to compare the two, but it's only because of my sobriety and my serenity mm-hmm. and, and the partnership that I have today on a more spiritual level with another mm-hmm. human being that I'm actually able to say, you know, what I have now is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's so nice to be able to, you know, have a routine and be able to to look to someone and say, look, I feel this way, but it may not, it may not be the way I am, mm-hmm. you know, and I might not be able to express this, but, you know, I want you to know that I'll, we can revisit it and, and actually have willingness to want to work things out mm-hmm. with, with another human being and relationships. They just get better mm-hmm. for me because I'm not, constantly doing things that make relationships hard yeah you know what i mean man? it does make relationships easier man when we don't dick around all the time right yeah yeah so what do you think i'm i mean i just keep chatting all fucking day and night yeah you know but That's, like, dude, i think it's going great man i think i think it is too is there any way that you i want to no you know what dude like i'm curious like what you do now so what what does your life look like now? Like in terms of you just hit three years, right? Yeah. Um, tell yeah, tell us about what your life is like like now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, you know, for the longest time, right out of the center, I just I just threw myself into AA, mm-hmm. and I and I did what was suggested that way, right? Yeah. And 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 I, I've moved to a, a totally different place now where you know, geographically, I'm, I'm able to, you know, encompass this, this AA fellowship Mm -hmm. into my life in a way that it's, it's not like, oh yeah, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. It's, I, I live, I live near water. Mm -hmm. The meeting is near the water. You know, I can fish. Mm -hmm. Last summer I spent my time on a bicycle I would go fishing before the meeting mm-hmm. or after the meeting, uh, you know, just touring around, being free and mm-hmm. actually really embracing the fact that I am just being grateful for being free right now mm-hmm. because I've really had to work the humility bit into my life, Dave. Like I'm, I'm not working mm-hmm. like a, perf- a full-time job. Uh, you know, I'm still on assistance because my recovery from addictions also coincides with my recovery from the spine surgery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I can't do my trade and I've been kind of okay with that. Yeah. But I've also, for the first time in my life, you know, once I started asking for help, mm-hmm. it kind of started feeling good when I was getting it. Yeah, And it's not like I feel like I deserve it in an egotistical manner, mm-hmm. but if I've got to build a foundation and, and that I'm going to be able to stack walls on that will mm-hmm. protect me from relapse, I need to be able to make sure that the foundation is, mm-hmm. is solid, man. And I'm talking like castle solid. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, like I said, I did a year before mm-hmm. of sobriety and I, I tried this and, and I'm one of those guys. I need to keep building this foundation. So mm-hmm. right now what I do is like I said, I spent the summer concentrating on fishing because that mm-hmm. was something that I did when I was a kid a lot. Hobbies are important, man. It really brought me back to being 
a child, mm -hmm. but in a different way. Because when you're a kid and you you bring a fish home, you want to say, Mom, look, I caught a fish, you know, look. Mm -hmm. You want her to say, great, we're going to cook it tonight for supper, mm -hmm. you know, awesome. That's ego-driven, selfish mm -hmm. stuff. But that's really sweet for a kid to do. Yeah. But it's the same as when you're fishing with your buddies and you go, I got one. Mm -hmm. Everybody looks, you know, and maybe you're saying it because you just want them to share in the excitement. But maybe that guy's not having a good fishing day. Mm -hmm. And then you look at it that way and he can't holler, I got one. Mm -hmm. You're really just saying it for what reason? And mm -hmm. so you get recognition, right? Yeah. And so fishing alone and you know there wasn't any of that like mm -hmm. did you see i fucking and i wouldn't take pictures of them mm -hmm. or anything and i taught myself how to fly fish and and, Good and for you using the fly pole and making my own flies now mm -hmm. and you know uh it's helped with my spirituality it's mm -hmm. helped with my patience it's helped me to be able to focus my thoughts mm -hmm. and energies towards only one direction at a time because mm -hmm. i have like really terrible adhd yeah and i didn't know like i'm sure i was that kid in school when i was a young fella i've read my report cards mm -hmm. like you know can't sit still fidgets you know disrupts the class but nobody ever said oh maybe there's you know maybe he falls in this category mm -hmm. with learning or, or teaching it didn't happen. So mm -hmm. I'm sure it's been there all along. And no wonder I struggled so much because that ADHD, after being in the hospital that I was in, they kind of figured out that it lends itself to violent outbursts mm -hmm. just due to the confusion that happens in here. Mm -hmm. And then add, you know, substance A, B, C, and D. And, you and then know, predetermined other things yes yeah. yeah and so you know I, I really am just at a point in my life today where i get up you know i really do keep it simple i i i, I read a book a bit of literature first thing in the morning mm -hmm. i don't pray every morning but i i'll at least acknowledge that you know i've said something and i say something out of my out of my mouth it comes from the tongue with me you know mm -hmm. like even if it's just, okay, Nolan, you're an alcoholic. You got to remember that today. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not just an alcoholic, but you're a maniac. But don't beat yourself up for that. We're learning, mm -hmm. you know. Thank you for my, you know, sobriety. And and I, 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 I give thanks for, like, the people that I get to meet today, David. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the opportunities that have presented themselves as far as, you know, just different people man mm. like it's unbelievable you know yeah and you seem pretty connected though to people around the fellowship right yeah yeah and i, I think it's really because i i did get right in the middle of this mm -hmm. thing you know and i think you did too and it's what's been suggested and i i figured i better fucking do something in my life that somebody is suggesting i do mm -hmm. instead of just whatever the fuck i want to do all yeah. the time so, you know, I, um, I met a friend, an old friend that was a friend of my little brother's whose father is 19 years in the program mm. and they do woodworking. Yeah. And, uh, 
I never really did too much with wood except for like bushcraft stuff, like, you know, axes and being mm. out in the woods and, but, uh, like carpentry and, and working with like saws and, and stuff. I, I started to kind of piggyback on their business and, and their stuff. And he, he taught me a lot about mm. how to build a couple really simple like shelves and things like that. And then kind of gave me the blueprints for, you know, you can do it your own way if you follow these guidelines and I started doing that and you know just as a kind of another hobby mm -hmm. nothing ever to like you know make any money or you know I again right back to just just mm -hmm. keeping it simple and and I would just sometimes just sand wood for them yeah and uh so now I have of my own I have a little wood shop a little hobby shop like that mm -hmm. I have a a lathe and I have a machining lathe as well, and and I what's I, a lathe? A lathe like spins wood. Oh, okay. So that you know you can shape it, but a machining lathe is for for steel, mm -hmm. like metals. You know, shaping uh, guns, gunsmithing, mm -hmm. making specific pieces, tooling, and stuff yeah. like that. I came across. Uh, I was doing some service work for an old lady and her man just walked away from the lathe and died one day, you know, like it was still in the shop with all the tools and everything still in it. And she just said, take it. And I couldn't scrap it. I just kept it. Yeah. And I didn't want to sell it because I got it in service. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, look, I'm already oh, fuck. I'm getting better. Like, cause I would have just sold it for the, the, the weight yeah. of the scrap, man. Yeah. It's a 5,000 pound machine. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, so that's what I do. And then we got this dog mm -hmm. and, and I walk him and I work with him and I chase after him in snowstorms, blizzards. man, you know, <laughs> like he, he's been amazing. He comes fishing with me too. When we're out away from the city, mm -hmm. he'll stand on the bank. And if, if, if he gets irritated enough, he'll start talking to me and i gotta go back and i'll carry him out to a rock that's in the middle of the bank or in the river or something and he'll sit on there and watch mm -hmm. me cast for a while but i gotta move him along right yeah and you know dave service work man like i uh, as i said i i have uh relationship issues mm -hmm. you know so you're still human then yeah yeah like, I really don't fucking like everybody, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I, I really do understand today that I wasn't very likable. Mm. And the people that I've met that that knew a little bit of that, but just from early recovery, Nolan, like I, I have a friend in the fellowship, her and her man, her, her husband, they gave us the keys to their family plot that's like in the middle of nowhere in in longview like mm -hmm. out in on the 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 uh kananaskis there it's close to there yes yeah, yeah. turner valley Beauty. yes yeah yeah right on the river yeah and i spent you know a couple weeks last year fishing cutthroats mm -hmm. like in my boxers man like nobody <laughs> around man like yeah. just my fly net my pole mm -hmm. and that's it and the dog yeah and cool. and like grizzly tracks mm -hmm. and that's where i really mm. i can breathe man when i'm in the woods yeah. like i actually i used to hunt when i was a kid but 
I I used to get off the bus. Okay, we were we were so poor at some point. I would get off the bus, and uh, I would have to go walk a snare line around our five acre land, mm-hmm. and we would hopefully snare a rabbit that we could sell the pelt for five dollars. Mm-hmm. We could eat the meat and maybe shoot a partridge. Mm. and and eat the partridge too and i would have to do that every day right mm. you know in the winter or whatever but now like i said i it, i try to go out to the to the woods and i don't need to go to Kananaskis. Mm-hmm. like i can be right here in the city on we got the, a beautiful city yeah. on the bow you know all i need is a tree to block from the road like mm. and it's amazing i can i can be standing in the river and not hear what's going on on the bank because the ripples you just become part of the river it's really like being in the middle of aa like you know it is it's you're in the stream of things and Mm -hmm. you know that's another thing about like fly fishing you can't just reel a fish in Mm -hmm. on a fly pole like your line just snaps it's it's over before it started Mm -hmm. If you even set the hook the wrong way, it's gone. Mm-hmm. That's that's like forcing it, you know, forcing life, mm-hmm. controlling it to suit, you know, your needs, your wants, yeah. ours, mine, you know. And yeah. and I think fly fishing's been just the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. You really need to know, you know, like it doesn't matter if I want to try this bait, mm-hmm. you know, in a spin rod, you can cast it a bunch of different places mm-hmm. and maybe you'll get it with whatever bait you have but you need to present that fly it has to be what they're after mm-hmm. it needs to be flown in the right direction you have no control over many of those things yeah. you just have to read them properly and then when you do get a take you're going in the river mm-hmm. like you know if your drag's too tight or too loose you gotta walk in the water you don't wanna slip and fall mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are going on that are really can be chaotic. That's why fly fishing looks so beautiful though. Yeah. Like when you're watching it. Yes. It just looks so artistic, right? It can be, you yeah. know, like when someone's good. Yeah. Well, you see him out there <laughs> the fucking caught in the tree behind yeah. me. And that's like, you know, that's why you, you have to go into it with mm-hmm. like a total because if you Frig up like that. Yeah. You don't ever get any of that nice artistic casting in yeah. the day. And, you know, it doesn't because you're not right. You need yeah. to be spiritually fit to actually do it, man. Mm. You know, you could stand out there casting all day. Yeah. That's know. interesting you say spiritually fit, because eh? one of my old co workers and longtime friend, um, Gary Weber, he fly fishes mm-hmm. and he has for years, makes his own flies and all that. And, and, uh, I used to watch him every once in a while, and he's so spiritually fit, eh? Like, he was just, you could see it in the casting. As you were just describing it, I'm like, I could almost see him again on the river yeah. with these very languid casts, yeah. right? They were, like, easy. Just fluid. Fluid. They yeah. Were very fluid and, like, easy. And, yeah, yeah it looked like artistry, man. Yeah, For man. sure it did. My little brother's an amazing fly fisherman, oh, too. He? And, you know, when we were kids, we watched the movie A River Runs Through It. Yeah. And, and that's an amazing story, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that was him. He was that different, like, he was the one that would go after the bear. You mm-hmm. know, he was Brad Pitt and that, like, he, 
he'd go into the river and, you know, come out with the big fish, mm-hmm. like, you know, be in the right place at the right time. And he was younger. I knew, mm-hmm. you know, and I, we struggle, man, him and him and me still. And, and I, I know it'll get better. Mm-hmm. He's being patient with me, but you know, I, I wasn't there for him for a long time. And that was due to the fact that I thought I was already there for him enough when we were younger. Yeah. Right. But I was so just in my own. Yeah. But I'll tell you, by the time he had to go to the same high school, he didn't have the same problems I had, Mm -hmm. you know? And then there was that in our relationship where Mm -hmm. I'm like, you don't even see how, how much pain I had mm-hmm. that you didn't. And I've had to realize that that doesn't matter because it's his perception, man. Mm-hmm. It's how he perceives things. We all perceive things differently. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, I think just today, fucking showing up here like this, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I said, it's April 27th. We're having a blizzard. I know. It's fucking crazy. And then the dog ran away, like, before I was, like, going to come. And I thought, why Why do I do this? Why do I I have to go somewhere at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's myself was thinking immediately. Like, I was throwing up pizza because I was running so hard after Mm -hmm. this little dog. And I was going to be late. And then I'm, like, panicked, like, oh, fuck. Now I'm going to be late. I've only known about this for months, right? Like, mm. and, and all this crazy thinking immediately flies back in. And I knew you'd be chill. Like you'd be just here when I got here. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. The reason I do it is because we have to, mm. if, if I want to stay sober, I need to go to any lengths. Mm. That's what they told me in the beginning. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I heard it. And, and I continue to hear it, you know, from speaking with individuals like yourself mm-hmm. and, and some of these other, these other men and women that are around us, you know, it, yeah, we're pretty fortunate. Yeah. You know, I, I think about my father and his position mm-hmm. and being in Nova Scotia. And if he was up for recovery, how, how could someone get it mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Like I, I could go to a meeting right after this yeah, and maybe another one because it's not too far or even before it gets too late for meetings tonight. Yeah. Like we can go anywhere and, and there's, there's so many meetings. There's All so many different day. types. Yeah. There's so much support out there for us here in Calgary. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And you know, for, that's lends itself to my, my gratitude mm-hmm. because looking back, Remembering those couple coins that I remember that my father had when yeah. he was in those months of sobriety when I was a young fella. I wonder, did he just get those while he was in jail or did he have to go driving mm-hmm. to get to a meeting? You know, or like, how did he do it? Yeah. I know it would be difficult if it, if it wasn't this fucking easy for yeah. me to be here yeah. in AA today, like just geographically. I agree. Same thing for me, man. You know, yeah. and and once you start really letting go, mm-hmm. and once I started to actually 
believe that if I was honest to people and if I shared something with them, mm-hmm. not a commodity, a bit of actual spiritual light mm-hmm. that at the very least they would share the same with me. Yeah. And maybe due to proximity, you know, and that openness, one or both of us could benefit mm-hmm. from that. And maybe even on a greater level, you know, have that add to our sobriety and our serenity as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, people answered the phone when I called. Yeah. Those two men came and made sure I got to Renfrew. Yeah. You know, that nurse, the doctors I had in that hospital. Mm-hmm. Today, Patrick from from the room i i got him to give me my third year coin there and nice he was the man i met the first day i walked into that claire's home hospital oh was he yeah he was Perfect. in there too and and uh he said today he's like i got two years nolan's got three years i thought it'd be the other way around mm-hmm. nolan wouldn't get this and he's gone back and now he's got it too right and yeah. we had such a connection in there and he approached me because he'd been around the block it wasn't mm-hmm. his first time in recovery and here he saw yeah. this scary son of a bitch mm-hmm. but a young fella compared to him and he approached me and and asked if he could sit mm-hmm. and if i wanted to talk and if i'd ever been anywhere like this and he was kind to me and and mm-hmm. Again, there was another, it was like, and it just kept happening and happening. And man, I just dug in, in that program. And it's my understanding that that's like at least a a $60,000 program. I believe so. I didn't pay for it. The government of Alberta did. And I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And I figure like I spent that amount of money out there willy-nilly but that was my money usually and i don't want to just throw that gift away Mm -hmm. because i know the numbers and i know the numbers of us that don't get recovery we don't for whatever reasons but then i know the numbers of us that are in recovery centers Mm -hmm. and have actually gone through this stuff and got some learning and maybe a little hope and faith Mm -hmm. and still didn't get it or, or something didn't click and yeah. you know so i think it's that important for me you know when to, it clicks yeah yeah to 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 be able to say like it does mm-hmm. it can you know yeah I, I this is what it was like you know this is what happened and mm-hmm. this is what it's like now i wake up today i i'm not caught in a sea of shame like self-disgust misery i can look at myself in the mirror you know when the phone rings i don't necessarily want to jump to answer it maybe i don't even answer it right away but mm-hmm. i'm going to pick it up after and i'm going to hum and, and i'm going to call them back mm-hmm. you know and so i know that it's changing every day i'm becoming more and more willing and when we talk about amends david yeah i think it's so important to make those amends mm-hmm. but what i think is much more important is becoming willing in your heart to make them Mm -hmm. when the time comes because i think 
you know, a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of people you don't need in your life, man. It's true. You know, and, and a lot of things just don't need to be said again. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know. I've always thought that living a good life is the best amends that we can make. Yeah. Right? And by living a good life, I don't mean like living a high life. I just, yeah. just living a good life of service even. Just not causing right? more harm. Yeah. You know, and if I can go to bed every night and know that I, I didn't cause another harm today, mm-hmm. then, you know, I think I'm on the right track, right? And if I can do even better than that by like, you know, not causing a harm and being of service to somebody mm-hmm. or, you know, it goes on and on, man. Yeah. But like, that's how we build esteem, right? Yeah. 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 And I think it is a power of like forward motion. Yeah. Really. You know, the more I take the right, the next right step, mm-hmm. the, the easier it gets every day. And yeah. it is sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. That's in the literature. I'm one of these slowly guys. Fuck, it might be six years before I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go get a job now. <laughs> but that's, that's right. but that's me yeah. like you know and and a lot i just am so grateful that that's been the case for me mm-hmm. because i don't think i would have got it otherwise yeah and and if i was expected like you know to to not be able to go to as many meetings as i wanted mm-hmm. a day or you know i don't think i would be here where i'm at yeah i i've had to have that that extra time the stability and yeah man you know for and sure. So yeah, I'm just really grateful, and yeah, it's a, it's yeah. an amazing thing to be able to to wake up and know that you're going up the right hill mm-hmm. instead of just walking uphill. Yeah, you know. Yeah, totally, do man. Well, d- thanks a lot for coming, man. Yeah, thank I'm you. I'm just going to check the time. Hour and 48 minutes, dude. Nice. Sweet. Yeah, it's right good on, timing. Man. That's awesome. Appreciate you, man. So good. I appreciate you too. Right on. Thanks, Thank Nolan. you. We would like to remind you that the opinions shared are those of the individuals and not representative of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other affiliation we may share with organizations or individuals. Thank you, Wild Rose United Church, for your open-hearted giving of, to the community at large in a multitude of ways. You have graciously provided space and love for us to work within, and we cannot thank the staff, volunteers, and members of the church enough for all that they do each and every day. Thank you again, Darcy Robinson. As usual, your work is incredible. Thanks for donating it to us. I am not here without each of our board of directors, Trent Baker, Todd Deer, Christine Pimiskern, Heather Morijo, Wayne Lurie, and John James. To all of the individuals who graciously donate their money and time to helping Freedom's Path become a society and now a charity, thank you. Who is Freedom's Path? We work directly with individuals and families struggling and suffering from, with addiction of all types, mental illness, codependency, and a multitude of difficulties humans bring forward as they attempt to make life-altering changes. If you are interested in attending our upcoming or future groups, Being a guest on the podcast or looking to make a donation or help in some other way, please contact us through our website, www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or find us on Facebook at Freedoms Path Recovery Society. If you are close to giving up, regardless of what your difficulty might be, please reach out to someone. 
You can always give up tomorrow, or maybe you won't have to. To anyone listening, imagine that your voice might be the only one someone hears inside their darkness. What is it you would like to say? As for me, I'm David Lurie, and I wish you all the best, wherever you are. Be safe and try to have some fun, because our time here is quite limited after all.